I did the math. If we would have not done any planning, they just they stuck to the grind and they just made money. Okay. That client is at $1 million in net income and our tax bill was gonna be $389,000 if she would have done nothing over the last couple of years structure-wise. And um, the projection this year with the planning and all the strategies that we used, the tax bill was gonna be 175,000. Welcome to Fit Wealth You. I'm your host, Amanda Hanquist. I've spent years in the trenches of entrepreneurship, learning the ins and outs of financial success. Now I'm here to share with you the financial strategies of building your wealth, but also because it's important to retire healthy so you can actually enjoy your wealth. Each episode includes a health segment featuring the industry leaders in health and wellness. So subscribe now and stay tuned. May you build your wealth empire and stay fit too. This is Fit Wealth You. Good morning, Fit Wealth You listeners. I am here with the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. This this is only audio. Sean's <laughs> like waving his arms in the air. <laughs> Sean Hankwist. <laughs> yes. Am I worthy of that intro? Oh my goodness. It's been forever since I've been on here. I know. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, excited to be back. Um, love the chat. So let's rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, no, we were just talking about funny dreams and it was hilarious because, well, I have this condition called glaucoma. And for those of you that don't know, it raises your eye pressure and I've had a hard time with it lately. And so the doctor put me on this, this medication and it makes me super sleepy. And normally Sean and I get up at five o'clock, go to the gym, like do our thing. Like that's just our routine. Well, it's like five 50 and Sean's like, do I wake her up? So he wakes me up and I'm like, I'm going to get the barbecue sauce. <laughs> <laughs> It must have been an epic dream. Wow. (laughs) Well, in my dream, we were obviously at a barbecue and they didn't have any regular or they didn't have any sugar-free barbecue sauce out. And so I'm like, I got to go get the (laughs) sugar-free. Well, it gets even better. Tell them what the barbecue, what we're eating. (laughs) Which I've never had before. It was Rocky Mountain oysters, which then started an entirely different conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the little things. So this is how super exciting our lives are. Anyway, (laughs) well, there is no better segue than that. Right. Let's right into why I wanted to have you on today. So we talked about five pillars of building an online empire this last episode. And what do we mean by online empire or just empire in general? I, I hesitate to stick only to online because we work with so many different entities out there where like chiropractors, physical therapy offices, and, or I should say business owners, cause it's, it's more on the individual, but we work with a lot of business owners, essentially, um, We just, I think, naturally have a lot more uh, online. And so that's kind of why we talk about building your online empire. But with that, it's it's more than just your business, Um, because obviously we're all doing this to help people. But I listened to a speaker at one of the conferences that we're at, and I'm like, or he he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course we all want to help people, but let's be real. Like we want to make money, right? Like, let's just call it what it is. We want to make money. Well, that's only going to last so long. Right. And, and so that's why I wanted to come up with these five pillars and why they're so important to building, not just money in your business, but your long-term wealth. And why that's so important is because this is going to fade. The momentum is going to fade. The excitement of it all is going to fade. Your kids are going to grow up. Um, You know, eventually you're going to get tired of the grind. So then what's going to be left when you no longer can or want to grind anymore? And that's going to be what you've done along your journey 
um, you know, as you've gone along to build your wealth. Yeah. A lot of people don't think about life after work or after, um, in the business world, it's not necessarily a paycheck, but running the business and getting your salary and your owner distributions, what happens when that is no longer an option. And so as you're building your wealth, you have to be able to plan for that future and a part of planning and the biggest expense most business owners have when you're, when you hit the nail on top of the head, when you're making a lot of money, because we want to make money is taxes. Yep. And taxes can be the, one of the biggest killers of wealth because it's one of our business ex- largest businesses expenses if we don't pay attention to it. Yep. Yep. And there are some anomalies out there that have gotten creative with, oh, well, I did this trust and I pay zero dollars in taxes and this and that. And it's like, yeah, but really mm-hmm. <laughs> usually when it sounds too good to be true it, it's too good to be true um ultimately what we're really focusing on is like your overall tax rate um we need to manage that because if you're making a lot of money yeah you're probably going to pay a few taxes but you need to maximize um the write-offs, the loopholes, the tax strategies that are available that are part of the tax code to get your actual tax rate down as low as you can possibly get it without having to have fears or worries about, am I doing this right? What kind of red flags are going off? Am I going to jail? What What is happening? So I feel like just being aware of your tax situation and trying to maximize what's out there is going to be the best case scenario. I want to bring an example in because like tax liability, tax situation, blah, 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 like that. I think sometimes those words get a little muddled when when it's difficult to relate it to something. And so let's call, let's call her Sally Joe had uh, come to you, I don't know, four or five, three years, however long ago. And just recently you were able to help her save, I want to say, I want to say her overall tax bill would have been around Mm -hmm. $280,000. Obviously, you know more about the situation than I do. So um, I guess explain it, but in a roundabout way, you were able to save her tens of thousands of dollars in one year, which Mm -hmm. year over year, and then you know, it, it had to have been through some creative strategies, right? It wasn't, um, here, we're just not paying these these dollars, right? It was through, through creative strategies. So you kind of have to put some money over here and donate some over there. And, you right. know, donation-wise, you're not going to see that money anymore. But ultimately, you're doing it for a, a bigger savings. But how much money, if you're saving somebody almost $100,000 in one year over a lifetime... I mean, that's, that's a million dollars. It's going to be multi-million dollars because not only is that hundred thousand dollars a year saved, not given to the IRS, more than likely it's going to be invested because it's excess cash flow that you didn't need to operate your business. Um, You didn't need personally. It is money that was just going to be signed off and, and given away to the IRS that you were able to keep in your pocket and invest for your financial future, which will compound to, in this scenario, multi, multi-million dollars over the next 20 to 30 years. You're potentially setting yourself up for generational wealth and also mm-hmm. being able to, when you are done with the grind and done, you know, putting this much heart and soul into what you do, you can look at um, other passive strategies right. of building income you know, whether that's real estate or whatever. Um, But that's a beautiful thing when you, especially at a younger age, can start to utilize your money wisely and not pay it for taxes. And that's that's sort of our opener. That's sort of why we wanted to bring this to uh, discuss with you today, because there is so much more that you could be doing um, as far as you know, building your wealth. Cause again, like Sean said, taxes are the biggest killer of wealth and there's no reason for that. The biggest reason is 
I would say lack of uh, lack of knowledge and lack of planning. And so why are we talking to you about this in October? We're talking to you about this in October because number one, we can't really talk about it. I, I don't think like in June, right? We don't really know what our year fully looks like quite yet. Yeah, you could argue October, not quite yet either, but we're rounding out, you know, fourth quarter. We have a lot of data from the year to go off of. Um, and I guess, Sean, you obviously have a better idea of explaining why fourth, why October is is a great month to start talking about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like consistent businesses that are always making money, we could work on these strategies throughout the year, but majority of a business is... Um, are scaling and growing quickly. Um, so their businesses are changing so much on a year to year basis. I mean, when you have businesses that grow 30, 40, 50% a year, what does that even look like revenue wise, expense wise to get that? So you need some data to go off of. And by having three quarters of the year done, it's a pretty good indicator um, where we can start doing some projections and estimates to finish out the year. And a lot of times we'll we'll be 100% accurate. There's no way we don't have a crystal ball, but at least gives you an idea uh, what your tax liability is going to be for the year. Because in most situations during the tax planning meetings, it's eye-opening of, okay, this is how the business is done year to date. And this is what my tax situation is like. Um, looking like for the, for what I'm going to owe at the end of the year. So it's kind of like, uh, also you're able to do strategies and do some cool things to save some tax money, but it's also a really good peace of mind. Um, kind of, you can sleep at night knowing that, okay, yeah, I have that money saved or yeah, this is how much I'm going to owe. I can get that saved in the next six months. Um, so I'm not behind the eight ball. Absolutely. But also let's talk about some, you know, the financial health of a business, how does tax planning impact? Because obviously that's going to help, you know, personally, but how does tax planning affect the financial health of the actual business itself? Mm-hmm. A lot of times the tax planning meeting is the first time that a lot of business owners have actually looked at the KPIs for the year um, to like really understand the health of a business of the business. So Uh, you're looking at gross profit margins, you're looking at net profit margins, and you're looking at liquidity or cash in the bank. That's how we're going to determine the health of your business. But a lot of times um, it's month to month, you're just grinding. um, Just to have to pick your head up. Yeah. And and actually look underneath the hood a little bit of, okay, yeah, we've had good growth. Clients are happy, but I haven't had a chance to do anything. So you you're able to look at the actual numbers of the business and study them and see what they are, what they even mean for the year. And it's so it's its own form of accountability really too, because like you said earlier, you know, businesses are scaling quickly um, or pivoting too. And, Mm -hmm. and we are so busy in our day to day that it's an accountability piece to be able to say, okay, uh, you know, and I've I've heard, you know, I think a lot of times people go into these meetings thinking it's going to be some horror story, but we've had so many situations where, oh, wow, I'm actually really doing a lot better than I thought I was, mm-hmm. you know, or, oh, wow, I can actually do something here. Yeah. I mean, just like the other day, we was having a conversation on uh, just business financials and how the business is going and, and the client had just mentioned that you know, we're going to start looking at paid ad because a lot of my organic growth is kind of getting washed up. And, and I was just looking and comparing um, year to date numbers this year versus last year. And it was up over 25%. Yeah. And which right? when you're running close to a million dollar business, 25% is, is a six figure increase in revenue year over year. So it's like, do you really need to go down that route yet? Because when you look at the big picture, you're growing at a phenomenal rate. That's a really good point you bring up um, because business mentors are great because they can give you that, um, you know, the structure and the plan day to day, the strategy, even the pat on the back, the motivation the keep going. 
But when it comes to the technical look at the numbers, it's really important to have somebody with an outside eye looking at that to give you, it's almost as if you're taking the emotion out of the purchase. Mm-hmm. So like when you work with a, a client who needs to lose 25 pounds and they want to throw in the kitchen sink and you're like, okay, that hasn't worked for you before, or okay, right. you've already lost two pounds. Right. There's no reason to go and lose seven and then lose all our progress because you're starving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that situation. You remove the emotion out of it and realize, wow, I've actually, I've actually done really well. Yeah. And like in this particular situation, uh, they're going to move forward with the paid ads because they're, they're in a position financially to be able to bring on that other funnel. And that was the tax planning is that we might not do as much strategy this year because we need cash and liquidity for next year if it's less profitable because they want to start developing that other arm, the other funnel of the business. Uh, or the, the other scenarios, we have the meeting and they're not as profitable and revenue hasn't grown. And they're talking about now doing paid ads and doing this, but we also have the conversation of, okay, is this just a Hail Mary? Like, right. you know, like is, we don't have the financial foundation put together. Like the structure's not there. The cash is not there. This could honestly put you under and you're taking on this expense. So it can go both ways. Um, but I think it's just really good to know the health of your business and what it's done and where you've been trending. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we get a little bit off topic on taxes, but I guess that was kind of interesting part of the meetings of just understanding the numbers. It's just a real eye opener, I think. Um, Yes. So financial health of the business, it's, you know, having that meeting is really important because it gives you a chance to just to really look at things for a second. Mm -hmm. What are some of the risks of not tax planning? Obviously paying more in taxes, but. Yeah, right. Um, Well, the risk of not tax planning, I mean, if you have a financial, like healthy business, cash flow is growing, everything's good and just clicking and you're the unicorn. I mean, you're going to be fine, right? And then you're going to file your taxes and you're just going to pay what is due. And we can go back to our first example that you mentioned. I did the math. Um, I did the analysis for this particular client of when they started with us a couple of years ago. If we would have not done any planning, they just they stuck to the grind and they just made money. And file um, taxes like like a client is at a one million dollars in net income, and her tax bill was going to be three hundred eighty nine thousand dollars if she would have done nothing over the last couple of years structure wise, and um, the projection this year with the planning and all the strategies that we used, the tax bill was going to be one hundred seventy five thousand. Wow! So that is the difference double. of. Almost double, you know, there was some additional investments and things we're going to need to do this for charitable donation. So out of pocket, it's going to be about 225,000, let's say, but that I'd rather have 225,000 out of pocket than 389 that's just going to the government. So that's almost 100, $170,000 difference over the course of two years of structure strategy and taking care of business. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that I guess that would be the risk is just, yeah, you might be fine. You're just gonna be paying more than you need, basically leaving a tip to the well, IRS. And honestly, like if you think about it, that's that's an entire position or two in your in your firm as well. Oh, hires. Yeah, that you makes know, sense. Hires, um things that you can take off of your plate, or I mean, there's just there's so much that you can do with that kind of money. Um it's, it's wild. And you can buy houses with that kind of savings. So you're, you're making over a million dollars and your effective tax rate is under 20% in that scenario, um, which is phenomenal. Um, What was Warren Buffett's, uh, Warren Buffett's quote, I paid a lower tax rate than my secretary thanks to all of the tax loopholes. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good one because he paid a hell of a lot more taxes than his secretary did. But if you looked at the overall effective rate, the tax rate of what he made versus what he paid was lower than his secretary, which is unbelievable. So I think that's what the advantage, we have a lot of advantages of business owners as being business owners. Um, So, you know, why not utilize the strategies that are out there? 
So why can someone not listen to this podcast? Because we're going to talk about some of the specific strategies somebody can should consider. Um, but what role does the actual financial planner play in this? Yeah. Why would I not just Google it, go to Schwab or whatever and figure it out myself? Okay. So this was kind of eye-opening, ran into this um, just recently of the role of the financial planner and what they should be um, doing for the clients. Because I feel like everybody's CPAs are definitely capable of running, you know, like the high-end strategy and the guidance of, you know, the overall plan. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the CPAs are still filing tax extensions all the way up to like October 15th. And a recent new client that was coming on board is like, they always have conversations that the CPA, the accountant over the last you know five years was going to get to tax planning, but they never got to tax planning. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's just, it's not a lack of want, it's just a, a, a lack of time um, to never. be able to get to that. Um, so the, finan- the financial planning role, in my opinion, is like, why can't we fill that gap? Um, we can have the conversations with the clients and we can actually package that together work with the client, spend the time. I mean, it takes hours to spend this time with clients to figure out the strategies and we can package it up and we can send that in an email or a Loom video to the CPA and they can spend five to 15 minutes on the overall strategy to make sure it makes sense compliance-wise for the IRS and have another party look at it and get our, you know, get the blessing and then you can move on. And that's a lot more efficient for the CPA spending five to 15 minutes in a, in a loom video or an e- email versus meeting with a client for an hour or two and then putting together the plan. So I feel like as a financial planner, we should be filling some of those gaps or at least working with the CPA um, to help provide some of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Well, because the way I look at the accountant or, or the CPA is they have their hands full with filings, mm-hmm. making sure things are compliant. If they do corporate auditing, I mean, that's a whole different different type of thing. But they are so busy with what the title of CPA does. Yeah. Like they, they know compliance-wise what you can and can't do for tax strategy. But mm-hmm. to have the time to sift through each and every client and specifically go through the hard data, the hard numbers. And I think that, you know, they need to give the blessing on some of these strategies, right? Like we all need to be a team. Um, I kind of look at as the planner, you know, as the quarterback, the advocate for the client, and then they all, everybody just works together and um, it can be a really cool team that you can put together and, you know, the, the CPA also needs us because several of those strategies to get that taxable income down um, had to do with investments that you have to be registered and licensed to be able to offer. So yeah. that's why you kind of, you, you definitely need a team. Well, and even with us, as we have grown in this strategy, like in this industry, and we've grown um, taking on and specializing in, in tax planning, there's strategies this year that I have that I didn't have last year. Mm-hmm. But I've done my homework and I've learned about as we've been scaling and growing as well. So having someone that focuses on that, they're always learning themselves and bringing new strategies to the table. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Well, how can, or let's, I guess let's talk about some of those strategies. So what are some of the strategies that one should consider earlier? So like, for example, if I wait until the, you know, January timeframe or even, you know, February timeframe, um, are there strategies that I am not able to even look at? Will Mm -hmm. financial planners not work with me because it's just, I've waited too long. What Mm -hmm. is, you know, what does that whole thing look like as far as timing? Right. It's never too late. Um, right. Like there's always, it's always a good time to do planning, but, there's a lot of strategies that I am doing now before the end of the year that um, wouldn't work if someone came to me in February for 2023, right? So that's why it's important to get a head start. And we're um, onboarding a couple of last clients just to get them on for the year for 2023 planning. 
to take advantage of some of these strategies. So it's not a one size fits all, like not all strategies can be used. Like there are some strategies that you can take advantage of in February or March of 24 for 23 tax season, but um, you do limit yourself. So that's where getting started now um, is going to save you a ton on taxes. If you've made a lot of money. Now, if you looked at your profit and loss and you're breaking even for the year, you know, it's not that much of an urgency to get going. But if you look at the PL and you have 500, 700, a million dollars in profit, like we need to be acting now because these strategies and the have to be in place before December 31st. Yeah. So what are some, like, can you give me any specific examples of ones that have to be in place by the 31st? Because I know that we've talked on the, you know, I guess, accounting side, we've talked about the simple ones like hiring your kids, um, the depreciation, the Augusta rule, those kinds, yeah. but are there, you know, more robust, I guess, once you become a, a lot more profitable and I guess more mature business that is, really needing to put some dollars somewhere else. Right. And one of the ones we talk about a lot as well, um, you mentioned like paying your kids in the Augusta and the lower hanging fruit in the industry of, of like the online side of things, majority of the business owners are solopreneurs and uh, meaning they don't have any employees, W2 employees. So a really big one that is underutilized would be like the solo 401k. And we talk about that, like I mentioned a lot, but in order to contribute as the employee portion, that needs to be done before December 31st, the employee, you can do up to $22,500 as an employee contribution, uh, as long as it's done before December 31st. And then as the employer, you can do 25% of your salary, but that can be done before the calendar year or after the calendar year, as long as you do it before you file your taxes. So that's another one um, that I don't want the like to like not be utilized because that's like yeah. a huge tax deferral, um, especially when you're running a very profitable business. Yeah. And then some more advanced strategies. I know you're kind of prodding me for some more advanced strategies, <laughs> so I can kind of get to it. But um, one of the the biggest ones that we can see utilized would be um, like charitable um, contributions that also has to be done before December 31st and charitable contributions. Um, there's a lot of different options. Like you can have like certain investments that have appreciated over time and you can gift the appreciation value. Um, you can donate to your church and be charitable that way, or there's some more advanced tactics, um, within, um, land conservation strategies that you can actually have like a, a multiplier on the dollar that you contribute to the charitable organization, which is very, very unique, um, that can, if you are in a high tax bracket, you can pretty much double your dollars that you put in there as a tax deduction. So something like that to think of um, that is out there on the charitable side. Um, it's part of the Internal Revenue Code 170, as if anybody was gonna look it up. And then you have like solar investments out there to get solar credits. You have oil, you have energy and gas type of investments that you can get an upfront um, tax benefit when you, when you um, purchase that the year that you purchase the investment. So there's a lot of really cool investment strategies out there. And not only are you saving on taxes, but then you kind of also diversify your portfolio from your yeah. traditional stocks and bonds. Yeah. I, I love that. And thank you for bringing those up because I feel like we have talked a lot about um, the, you know, Augusta rules and those kinds of things. And so has every TikToker on the planet. Too. Right. And they're pretty common. And then the business coaching and it's the, it's the lower hanging fruit and that, yeah. and ultimately um, you can get that set up and the, the CPA can set that up. You won't necessarily need a, like a financial advisor, financial planner to right. go, utilize those kind of strategies. It's just something that we know about and we offer, but um, there are investment opportunities like we just mentioned that will take someone that has those um, 
available as well. Not every financial planner or advisor is created equal and not everybody has it on their shelf. Yeah. One of the last things that I wanted to talk about was how does, um, so how, I don't know quite how I want to ask this, but essentially what I'm asking is we've had, we've had some business owners uh, come to us that are like, I want to save taxes this year because I'm going to have a, a nasty tax uh, liability this year. And mm-hmm. they have no concern for next year or the year after that, or the year after that. And sometimes um, paying more this year to save in future years could be actually beneficial. So mm-hmm. let's elaborate on long-term tax planning and the benefits yeah. there. It's definitely a year by year basis. Um, the tax planning, you know, there is a few of my clients that were intentionally not utilizing a lot of these strategies because they need their net income high enough to purchase, you know, a million dollar home next year. Mm-hmm. And um, that makes sense. Right. So like, we're just be less aggressive and then next year we'll turn back on the faucet and do everything we can to get their tax liability down. Now, the tax strategy paying taxes, we've talked before, it's not always a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? Right. You're going to pay a certain amount in the taxes because we need cash left over. So a lot of times where maybe I think you're heading down is like people want write-offs mm-hmm. to lower their, their business income down to little to nothing. But a lot of times with write-offs, like business expenses, they're not uh, an appreciating asset they're not growing. They're more or less just um, an item that I guess after you, you know, purchase it is pretty much useless. Right. Yeah. So yeah. in that fact, you're spending a dollar to, you know, save 30 cents. Um, right. But then, you know, what you buy is not going to be worth anything in the future. So now you just, you actually spent the whole dollar. Whereas in, if you're in a 20% effective tax rate, you spent 20 cents on taxes and you still had 80 cents left in the business or in your personal pocket. So you really got to make sense of how bad you want to like, how much does it kill you to pay the IRS a penny in taxes, right? You got to really dig into that uh, so you can make sure you have cash and liquidity in the future for yourself and your net worth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the other things too, is it's like, sometimes we need to pay a little bit of a higher tax bill so that we can get the home or the, you know, the mortgage that we're trying to get or right. whatever that looks like. And then there's other times where we, we do want to um, save, but maybe we don't want to depreciate out the whole entire asset this year. Maybe we want to save some of it for another year because that'll be a high year as well. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the even kind of just like go a completely 180 on you. It's like, if our tax rate is low enough, or if we had um, multiple businesses and one business took a hundred thousand dollar loss this year, I would really seriously look at doing Roth conversions or contributing to your Roth because if you're paying taxes at twelve percent, that's like probably lower than you'll ever pay taxes at that certain rate. Why yeah. not do like a Roth conversion? So yeah. I know that's not tax savings because you're doing with post-tax dollars, but you have to look at the taxable situation year by year. So a lot of times, like even personally last year, we had a business that took a major loss. I did a a major Roth conversion because our tax rate was fairly low. Yep. Yeah. So there's just some really cool and unique strategies that when you get to things early enough, you can do things about it. And that ultimately is going to build your long-term wealth if you're getting to it late in the game, A, it's never too late, right? But you might be missing out for that particular year to utilize some certain strategies and you might yeah. end up paying the IRS when you wouldn't have had to. Right. Um, but there are also things where you can do like the Roth conversion and take advantage of potentially lower tax rate when needed. Yeah. You pretty much have to look at taxes as a liability over the course of your life. So when I'm looking as a planner, I'm looking at your taxes, not only today, but what is your tax rate and tax liability looking at like when you're 70? Yep. Right. I don't have a crystal ball. A lot of shit's going to happen between now and when you're 70, but I'm looking at, okay, here's how much the assets are going to grow over time. Here's how much distributions will be and income is going to be 
needed down the road. Um, so you want to look at your tax bill over your life rather than just, you know, this year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. tax rates are going to change, you know, tax codes are going to change, but we don't know that, but we can go with what we know right now and, and then just plan over the course of time. All right. Thanks All so right. much for your big brain and expertise on taxes today. All right. Thanks for having me. Please join me in welcoming Nicole Andrews to our health segment of the show. Nicole is a registered dietitian who specializes in helping adults and pediatric cancer survivors reduce cancer risk with simplified nutrition and lifestyle changes. Nicole, thank you so much for being on. Like, first of all, I want to touch a little bit about you know, on your background, what led you into this, uh, you know, oncology space? I know you're a registered dietitian, but what led you into this oncology space to work, you know, in this area specifically? Yeah. So I graduated with my RD, um, you know, I'm a registered dietitian, my background, uh, a bachelor's of science in food science and human nutrition. I got a job working at a hospital and dietitians in the hospital usually will work a couple of different floors. One of them was oncology. And I could just tell I was always on that floor going there first, checking in that floor at the end of the day because of how much they needed support with nutrition and how much they wanted support with nutrition. Mm. Can't, I can't, is really unlucky. Yes, there's things we could do to reduce risk and we should do those. A lot of times it's just genes, you know, certain cells are, are not acting right and it comes out of nowhere. So they are wanting to be, figure out what they can do for nutrition to have really good treatment outcomes, to reduce risk of recurrence. You know, they want to make sure to have all, all that information, but there's so much misinformation. And I love myth busting. I love the truth. I love facts. I love science because it really helps to calm our worries. You know, I just take the facts and we can implement them. So to me, it was just really nice to work with cancer survivors because they're so open to figuring out what the answers are. They're motivated to eat well. And also just the relief they had once I explained the simple facts and I simplified nutrition for them, that was no longer a worry. Because when you're going through cancer treatment, you have to go to these treatments and you're going up against all these, you know, all these feelings of just being diagnosed. And the last thing you want to worry about is, is food or if it's safe or not. And, and really, there are so many safe foods. There really are. So I love that myth busting component and supporting them. Um, so it just felt like a really good place to really help people have a lot better life and give them more just joy with food during a difficult time. That's really um, fascinating. I, I hear time and time again, how it, it has almost found you in a way versus you like just throwing a dart at the wall and picking something, right? Like you were almost feeling that energy to, um, to continue to go back to that floor. And now, you know, so much about that subject and you've literally hit on all of the questions that I have, which I think everybody out there probably has these same questions. And so mm -hmm. I'm really excited to kind of dig into this and, and for starters, um, they are motivated to eat healthy. Like everybody like people aren't too concerned with changing until it's too late but we don't want to wait till it's too late right we want to do something now um, mm -hmm. because two let's say that we just do have that luck of the draw where we do you know come down with cancer why not have already had those habits down right give our body even that more of a fighting chance and so with that being said what are some lifestyle things that we can do to reduce our risk um, you know, I know that you said it's kind of luck of the draw, like how much of that is lifestyle, how much of it yeah. is genetic, you know, mm -hmm. enlighten us on that. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of things you can do to reduce risk of recurrence as well. So there's a lot of different ways that, okay, yes, maybe cancer is unlucky and your doctor, unfortunately, is not going to give you a definitive reason like, hey, this is why you were diagnosed and that can be frustrating. Mm -hmm. The evidence shows there's so many things you can do to reduce your risk of if you've had a diagnosis, reduce risk of recurrence, or if let's say maybe there's like um, a gene mutation like BRCA1 or BRCA2 or something within your family history, or you just have seen family members have cancer and you want to reduce your risk with nutrition and lifestyle, you can. You can make significant changes to really help to reduce your risk. For example, like fiber, I'll just give you a quick example here. Yeah. Just fiber. So the goal is to reduce risk of breast cancer and colorectal cancer specifically, you want to aim for 30 grams of fiber a day. Okay. Just by having part of that, like maybe you're a person who's getting around because Americans get like around 15. So maybe you were getting like 15 grams and then you switched it up, you know, after listening to this podcast and now you're more intentional and you get 20 grams of fiber a day. 
there's already percentages of the risk of getting colorectal cancer that's going down. And that's what the research has shown. So having more fiber is going to reduce your risk. It's going to reduce those chances of getting cancer. Um, and same thing with like breast cancer. There is those like the BRCA, the BRCA genes that they find, you know, if a parent or, you know, family member has um, breast cancer, making those lifestyle changes, like with fiber, it will reduce risk of breast cancer. Also, what's really important is if you have a history or maybe you even have cancer now and you're like, what can I do? So all these recommendations, which are supported through the World Cancer Research Fund, they show to also reduce risk of recurrence. So don't think that if you have cancer or have had it, that now it's too late. You can't, you know, you can't reduce your risk. You can. So other things that you can do to help to reduce your risk of cancer is also to omit alcohol. So and for, like in the last five-ish years, they changed that recommendation. It used to be you know, two a day for men, one a day for women to reduce risk of cancer. Then they switched it and now it's zero a day. And that's because of the ethanol that's inside of all alcohols. So if you reduce your consumption of alcohol, even, even if you don't omit it, like, yes, they say zero, but let's say you just reduce it. You're also going to be reducing your risk. So, um, it's going to be for mouth, throat, stomach, colon, breast, and liver cancers. So if you reduce your alcohol, that will also help. Oh, um, of course, tobacco, that's something that we've known a lot, you know, a long time. But if you are doing tobacco and alcohol together, it'll increase your risk even more. So just removing or omitting or taking those down lower is going to help. Um, I mean, there's there's a couple other things that you can do too. Do you want me to continue with a couple other recommendations? Well, I'm surprised that that was even a recommendation of reducing like even daily for alcohol intake, because I would have assumed it was once or twice a week and then removed to zero. So I'm surprised number one, that it, it even was daily. Cause you always hear, Oh, I'm going to have my red wine, my antioxidants, right? Like that's what our moms like to say. Like <laughs> I'm making a healthy choice here, yeah. which, you know, you and I know the reality of that, but, um, I'm glad to hear that that has been switched to zero and it, you know, because I think that if we put zero on there, people really understand that it's a moderation thing, right? If you're not willing yeah. to admit it, it's at least, moderation at that point yeah it's really zero and yeah um if you want antioxidants you know it's not the red wine it's go for the grapes you know what i mean because the ethanol in red wine is going to outweigh any benefit of those grapes that have already been you know processed down so definitely fruits and veggies is where those protective components are at what's really cool and fun to think about with fruits and veggies you probably have been told yeah your fruits and veggies blah 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 everyone's been told that so a couple of different things that you want to keep in mind about fruits and veggies. Number one, it's really about color. So it's not about one specific fruit or veggie. People and society, you know, the gurus, they always say there's this one magical food. It's kale, it's celery, it's whatever, you know, it's going to be something new next year. But really, in reality, when it comes to the science and reducing cancer risk, it's a rainbow of fruits and veggies. So you can never have kale, but if you have other green foods, you're fine. You know, if you like kiwi instead, do that. The other cool thing is just by consuming fruits and veggies, the components that are within fruits and veggies, antioxidants, phytochemicals, literally will repel or excuse me, repair damaged uh, DNA, damaged cell DNA. So ultimately, that's what a cancer cell is. Your healthy cell gets broken for whatever reason, age, injury, you know, environment, it gets broken down, the, the DNA gets damaged, and then it goes through these multiple phases to get to a cancer cell. Well, if you just like eat an orange, you know, those little you know, uh, antioxidants or whatnot will go in and repair that damaged DNA, and it'll yeah. be back to so it's just like so cool to think like, no, these fruits and veggies have the components to go around like these little workers and repair everything and keep you away from cancer. So just more fruits and veggies, they're protecting your cells, they're repairing them. And then lots of color is what we want to do with fruits and veg. I absolutely love that. And I'm such a huge, well, I have kids. I've worked with student athletes back in the day. I'm such a huge believer in start young. Why not mm -hmm. have that on your table when your kids are little? Because- yeah. Having a 30-year-old start eating fruits and vegetables is a lot more difficult than having a three-year-old starting to eat fruits and vegetables. Tons of exposure. The best way to get your kids to eat fruits and veggies, you sit down and enjoy it. <laughs> you model that behavior and then just exposure to offer it. The best way to get kids to explore more foods like fruits and veggies, to serve them with their favorite foods. You know, if they really like the the whatever it is, the goldfish, the, the, the chicken nuggets. Okay, fine. Do that. But then also put more fruits and veggies and then yeah. not overwhelm. Yeah. Um, and you probably do you have kids, but just like, don't give them, you know, a salad, literally give them a leaf of spinach to explore. People think that kids playing with their food is bad manners, but that's actually how they learn how to eat. So just like a raspberry, a blueberry, yeah. a spinach, 
allow a lot of exposure to that. And then you sit down and eat your fruits and veg and that, like you said, let's, let's show them younger what they have options on, you know, instead of waiting until they're 30. Now, what about, um, supplementation? Are there certain supplements that we should be taking if we don't get enough from our diet or what is your take on supplements, like supplements, like vitamin C, you know, all of the vitamins and supplements there are, cause we know we're in a world of supplement overload. Overload is exactly right. So, so with supplements specifically a gold standard recommendation coming down from the world cancer research fund, they have, remember they have the global continuous update project. This is a panel of, you know, doctors, you know, researchers, they look at what's the up-to-date human data to show what to do to reduce cancer risk. Literally their gold standard recommendation is do not supplement to try to reduce risk of cancer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a recommendation to not take supplements. Now, um, there's a lot of different details along with that. So first off, yes, getting your nutrition from food first is going to be best. This is because around 200% daily value or more, a, a micronutrient can co- become a free radical. So your cell, like too much of something is not good. So when people yeah. say, yeah, up on vitamin C. Actually, no. Now that vitamin C is acting as a free radical and your cells are irritated. They're agitated. They don't want that high dose vitamin C. You know, whoever well, said people, that. People think that, oh, I'm going to have to eat 50 oranges to get the same as this one pill. So this one pill must be better. Exactly. But nope, it becomes a free radical. It basically attacks mm-hmm. your cells and they're irritated. Now they're getting like hit with vitamin C. Just Come have up. an orange. You know, vitamin C actually, as you know, too, Amanda, I mean, you can get vitamin C really quick from an orange or broccoli or whatever you want to have. So don't supplement unless the only time you'd want to supplement. So, well, so don't supplement first off for cancer prevention. So someone's like, Hey, you know, Amanda, you need to supplement this, this, and this, if you want to reduce cancer risk better. No, that's misinformation. They don't understand. So if you do need to supplement, it wouldn't be related to reducing risk of cancer. It would be from a deficiency that maybe you're pregnant Maybe you're going through chemotherapy and your iron is down and no matter what you do, you can't get it up. Maybe you're done with cancer treatments and your vitamin D is low, which is common by the way. And your doctor's like, let's get you on some vitamin D. That is okay. Those aren't going to become free radicals. Those are going to get your levels up with the normal range, but it's still not, you know, it's not has a whole lot to do with cancer prevention. It's just a healthy body with the right levels. So food first, don't supplement. And kind of like what you said, it's just a saturated like market of supplement pushing. And it's really frustrating because you really don't need that. You just need to eat more of a well-balanced diet. Yep. 100%. 100%. And then what about, um, as far as like movement and exercise, as far as, uh, prevention or just overall lifestyle? Oh my gosh, the best. Oh, don't even get me started. I feel like everything I say is exciting, but yes, when it comes to like eating more fruits and veggies in a plant, plant plant-based diet, so not vegetarian or vegan, that's going to help reduce risk for cancer. But really right next to that is going to be exercise and movement. So a couple of different areas, again, this comes straight from the World Cancer Research Fund. They mentioned how, you know, a lot of people are living a sedentary lifestyle. So let's just look at that first. Like, are you sitting a lot? How can we sit less? Can we garden? Can we go do a chore? Can we get up? Can we go walk over there? Can, can your kid get on their bike and you can walk with them? Like, let's just get up and move our bodies more. And then from there, what the data is showing is that if you get, you have two options for physical activity to reduce risk of cancer, you have moderate physical activity, 150 minutes a week, or you have what's called vigorous physical activity. Um, Examples of that, like moderate would be, you can have a conversation with your friend when you're working out, but it's difficult. Whereas vigorous, you can't, you'd be like doing sprints or something. So 75 minutes of vigorous each of those are going to reduce risk of cancer. And um, I mean, it's not just that, it's gonna help with digestion, you're gonna sleep better, you're gonna be stronger. If you were ever to be diagnosed, which of course we wouldn't want you to be, or maybe if you're listening to this and you're in treatment now, exercise will be a huge game changer and you feeling more like yourself, mm. uh, being strong and all treatment. So it's a secret weapon. That's what I always say exercise is. So I love find it. ways, yeah, find ways to add it in. And then if you're starting at zero, don't be discouraged by that number 150. Let's just start with 30 minutes a week yeah. and build. Yeah. Just tie your shoes and get out the door. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 100%. I love that. Well, last question I have, and this is going to be sort of the myth buster or the biggest misconception that you hear that you want to set straight. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, that sugar feeds cancer. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Yeah. I, I wrote a book on how sugar does not feed cancer. It's true. So cancer is totally complex. Its metabolism is wild. 
it's unfortunate, you know, cancer just doesn't act like a healthy cell at all. We cannot manipulate it. Um, that's why we need such intense treatments or surgery. Ideally, we just have surgery, remove the cancer and be done. Unfortunately, that's usually not just the case. It's surgery followed by, you know, chemo, radiation, immunotherapy. These intense treatments are hard on the body. They do get rid of cancer. But the reason why that is that you can't just manipulate cancer with food is because it just has its own agenda, its own way of, you know, uptaking nutrients and dividing and growing. So cancer cells aren't like healthy cells. Cancer cells will get the protein, carbs, and fat that they need. They do have a higher uptake of nutrients because they grow and spread quicker. So mm. yes, it's have a higher uptake of glucose than a healthy cell. So that's true. But let's say you removed all the sugar, removed all the carbs, didn't have a single carb, which I wouldn't recommend, by the way, because your body needs carbs. The cancer will still grow just the same. It's a huge myth that, and it's really heartbreaking because cancer survivors will feel guilty. I, I cannot yeah. tell you how. Right. Oh, you just ate too much sugar or you shouldn't have had the Mountain Dew every day or this or that when they may have gotten it anyways. Yep. Or like they don't want to eat their daughter's birthday cake you know, cause they're worried their cancer is going to come back. No, sure. High sugar diet's not good. You know, we don't want high sugar, but sugar in moderation, sugar every day. That's pretty realistic. As long as you're having those foods with it, it's fine. You can have that balance. But the fact that you're going to get cancer because of just sugar or your cancer is going to grow more just because of sugar is false. That's not how cancer metabolism works. Again, it just has its own agenda, its own, it doesn't act like a healthy cell. So you can have sugar. It's not going to change your cancer, but do we need to want to, you know, do we need to focus more on lean proteins, lean dairy movement, plant foods? Yes, we do. But you can have your birthday cake with that. And I promise you, it's not going to change your cancer. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much for setting that straight. I have watched so much of your content, which by the way, I'm going to link your stuff in the show notes because I hope everybody starts following you. You have so much good uh, content that you put out there. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for joining me today. Thanks, Amanda. You're awesome. Thank you for listening to Fit Wealth You. Don't miss out on the opportunity to make your financial dreams a reality. Join us every week for actionable insight that could transform your wealth and your life. May you build your wealth empire and stay fit too. This is Fit Wealth You. This presentation has been provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security or strategy. The investment strategy and themes discussed herein may be unsuitable for investors depending on their specific investment objectives and financial situation. Information obtained from third-party sources is believed to be reliable, though its accuracy is not guaranteed. Opinions expressed in this commentary reflect subjective judgments of the author based on conditions at the time of the publication and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Fit Wealth View is brought to you by Fit Wealth Advisors. Fit Wealth Advisors is an investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply any level of skill or training. The oral and written communications of an advisor provide you with information about which you determine to hire or retain an advisor. For more information, please visit advisorinfo.sec.gov and search for our firm name.